Well, good morning, Mission View Church. My name is uh, Joe Novak. I'm pastor of discipleship here uh, at Mission View. Um, I'm really excited to be here Sunday. I was on vacation, what, two, last week or no, the week before last, and it's just fun to be back. I, I really miss you guys. Um, we miss the beach too, but you know, it's all good. So uh, I, I wanna bring this up real quick. Um, Last week, we actually uh, read, or well, we listened to the Apostles' Creed over a video last week, and I just want to kind of talk about it briefly. Uh, so in the Apostles' Creed, um, it's one of the oldest creeds of the early church. It's kind of the foundation of a lot of what we believe um, as the church. I mean, the Bible is that, but as they turn the Bible into summary statements, it's kind of what a creed is, and you can pray those things. Right? It says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, and the communion of saints. And it said that in the video, and I just want to talk about the word Catholic real briefly, um, really what that word means is universal. So um, that isn't like an association with us, us with the Catholic Church as it is today. It's more just the universal church as all the body of believers across the entire globe. That's kind of the way the word was used originally in the Apostles' Creed, and it's just slightly differently, different, you know, when you, when you hear it today, when you say that word Catholic, it just comes across slightly differently. Um, so just wanted to say that real quick just so everyone is clear on it. Um, um, but yeah, I'm excited to be here, um, and I want to start off by telling you a little bit about my daughter, okay? So my daughter is now two and a half. Her name is Naomi, and we were just on vacation with her, right? And so, I don't know, she's just adorable, absolutely adorable. And something that we like to do, um, and we've been doing this quite a bit ever since she was little, is go on bike rides. I have a little uh, mountain bike, and in the middle, in front of me, I have the seat in front of me. So it's, it's really easy for her and I to talk, because her head's like right here in front of my chest, and we just kind of whisper to, to each other as we're riding our bike, riding my bike, and she's just kind of like looking around. She absolutely loves it. She always tells me, Dad, I want the, the wind, to, or my hair to blow in the wind, you know, go fast. It's absolutely adorable. And sometimes we have some of those, the most profound conversations. So I want to tell you about this one. About two months ago, it's springtime, right? So the leaves are starting to come on the trees finally. We're like, okay, and it was one of those nice warm days in the spring that we rarely get, but we get. And so I'm riding around Lake Cable, and we're looking at all the trees and how beautiful they are. And Naomi just asked me this question. She's like, where trees come from, Dad? It's so cute. She's like, where the, where the tree? I'm like, well, I, I think it's when, you know, like an acorn, like, gets embedded in the dirt and then, like, starts to grow. You know, I'm, like, answering all these questions. And then I'm like, uh, she asked me again, like, what? well, where? Where do, where do acorns come from? Where do seeds come from? It just keeps going. And I'm like, okay, well, they come from God, honey, okay? God is the one who created the trees, <laughs> And then it keeps going. We start talking about how the leaves are turning green, but the trees right now look brown because there's, you know, you just see a little bit of leaves. And she's like, where does brown come from, Dad? And I'm like, oh, gosh, I think it's like you mix red and something else, maybe green. I don't know. You know, so it's like kind of tough to answer these questions from a child. I'm like, oh, gosh. Eventually, uh, the, the right answer comes out. I said, you know, God created, the tr created brown, honey. God created brown. And she's like, oh, as if that, I'm like, that works, okay. Just, that's the answer for everything from now on. <laughs> but see, children ask the most profound questions, and guess what? So do we. Oftentimes, we ask these questions of ourselves without even really thinking about it. As a child, I mean, we're so young and innocent, we actually voice them, and we probably have, but then so many things go throughout life, and as an adult, I forget about those questions that they exist. I've answered them. 
I'm like on my way, I go to work every morning, I go, I come home and I serve my family. Like I know what to do, so much of it, I know what to do and I get so lost in what I'm doing that I forget about these really deep questions that young people ponder, right? And so I'm just anticipating this question, and this is something we're gonna cover today, um, is where people come from, Dad? Where do people come from, right? Or, or what happens uh, when, when we die, Dad? What happens when we die? Or when we die, where do we go, right? I've, I've swatted some flies in the house, and she always gets sad that I've killed the flies, right? And she's literally like sad that, that the fly is gone. And I said, fly went bye-bye, honey. You know, it's just, that's what, it, what happens. Okay, so these big questions about us, about who we are, where we, come, where we go when we die, where we've come from, this is all called anthropology, okay? Anthropology, it's the study of man. So today, uh, in colleges, you can go get a four-year degree at a university, and you can study anthropology. But here's something interesting when you study anthropology. Universities usually take it from a perspective that is man-centered. They, they try to take God completely out of it. They don't talk about God. They actually try to avoid the topic of God as much as possible. And they completely study it as far as man has created God and man's the center of the universe and man this and man that, right? That's the study of anthropology at a four-year public university. However, I would say that you cannot study man without coming at it from a God-centered perspective. That's impossible, absolutely impossible. So today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna study where man came from, from a God-centered perspective, all right? So, the answer to all those questions that Naomi asks me, or Naomi is going to ask me, or you guys have probably asked yourselves, and I'm bringing up again, the answer to all those questions are actually in God's word, right here. And you have access to this uh, probably on your phone, on your tablet, on your computer, all over in the internet. You, you can buy them on Amazon. They are all over. This is the number one best-selling book in the entire globe, and I think it's been that for like ever, okay? So this is where the answers are, right? And the answers that we've been talking through in this We Believe series that we've been covering all come from Scripture, all come from the Bible, right? And Pastor Matt talked about that a couple weeks ago. But put simply, the answer to these big questions about man um, is really in our doctrinal statement, and it's going to come up on the screen behind me. I want to read the two statements we're going to cover, and it's really what uh, Brian and Josh had already mentioned, total, depra total, total depravity and salvation. These are the statements real quick. All people are created in the image of God, but because of Adam's sin, they are sinful by nature and choice. And apart from forgiveness through Jesus Christ, all are lost and alienated from God. And though some of the proof verses and the proof texts uh, are Genesis 1.27, Genesis 3.1-6, Romans 3.23, and Ephesians 2.1-3. Those all kind of talk about and defend this statement. And it's actually the origin of this statement. It comes from those those verses. So we'll, we'll dive into each of those in a little bit here. And then the second one, uh, salvation rests solely on the work of God's grace. Christ's death is the only payment for sin that God will accept. All who believe in Christ are born again and become the children of God. And that really comes from John 1, 12 through, 12 through 13, and Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. 
And then lastly on the salvation pieces, all believers once saved are secure in Christ forever. And John 6, 37 through 40, John 10, 27 through 30, Romans 8, 1, and Romans 8, 38 through 39. Those are our doctrinal statements about uh, a God-centered perspective on man or anthropology or uh, total depravity um, and also salvation, the doctrine of salvation. So, as you can see, there's a lot of verses, a ton of information packed in these sentences, but I want to just be super clear. I wish I had four hours with you today. I don't. Uh, I have 40 minutes, but we're going to go quickly through some of these things. But if you guys have any more questions, you know, you can email me. Come talk to me after the service. I want to I wanna help, uh, help people through these things. I don't want to just kind of give you the answers and then walk away like, you know, you're going to have questions that I'm not going to have time to cover. So please, please, let's talk more. Or talk to Pastor Matt or, or your community group leader or, or whatnot. So that, all, all that to say, I summarized today's message in one short sentence. Okay, this is the sentence. It'll come up on the screen later in the message at the end. I'll, I'll bring it back up. But I want to tell it to you to start with so you know where we're going. Humanity has a sin nature deserving death, but the good news of Jesus gives humanity life. Humanity has a sin nature deserving death, but the good news of Jesus gives humanity life. That's what we're going to plain and simple talk about today. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, where we will dive into where does man come from? That's, you know, we got to get that first. Where does man come from? Genesis 1, 27. Uh, flip there and let's pray before we read. Lord God, thank you so much for your word uh, that just describes who we are in such profound but yet simple ways. Um, Lord, so many times our sin fights these truths and uh, yeah, we, we don't want to do that this morning. We want to humbly come before you remembering who we are, where we're going when we die, what happens when we die. Um, we want to we humbly submit to those things and live, in our, live our lives in a way that uh, that express that very truth. Um, we ask all these things in your name. Amen. All right, Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So what does this mean? Point number one is every human has infinite value. God is actually an infinite being. You know, he has infinite power, right? It's from his very breath that all creation came to existence from his word. He would just speak, and it all came to be. Well, from God having infinite value and infinite power and being an infinite being entirely, we are made in his image, right? So we are finite in certain ways. However, like we're constrained to time, we're constrained to needs as in food and things like that, and our bodies will die one day, right? We're finite. We have an end uh, God does not have an end, right? However, in his image, we are created, therefore giving us infinite value, right? So what does this mean? Well, there is no child that you can put a price tag to. There is no human being that you can say, hey, this human's worth a million dollars, I'm gonna go purchase that. That is not, you cannot do that. We are priceless, right? Just like those terrible commercials. I don't even remember those commercials, but those terrible commercials about being priceless, right? Humanity is priceless. It also means that serving and protecting every life on earth is absolutely important. 
right? This is the way we can apply this in our daily lives, right? Every human being, if it comes to life and death type of things, I mean, there's no price tag. We, we want to serve and try to preserve all life, right? And we serve the God's creation in that way. Um, humanity is of utmost value. So let me say this to you. Um, you have value. You absolutely have value. Now, have you ever felt that something or some way that God has ever created you, have you ever felt insecure about that? I remember one time uh, my buddy in college, he, you know, he had just kind of somewhat expressed in our accountability group feeling like not super comfortable with the way his voice was and the way he laughed, you know? And so he would, oftentimes, he wouldn't kind of put himself out there in groups. He was very shy. He was was right open to a couple of us. But then when it came to like a group of 10, like in our small group, he was like not vocal. He would barely talk. He was honestly insecure about the way his voice sounded. His voice was unique, created by God. And he was insecure about that. I remember... Um, we were talking about that, and, and I, I, I was kind of upfront with him, you know, in a loving way, but I said, you know, the fact that you feel insecure about some way that God created you, that is like a slap in the face to God. I mean, you're made in his image. He created you in that way. The characteristics of the way you are that you don't have control over was his design. It's not just about you. You know, so any insecurity anyone feels sitting here in this room or anything you're going through, I mean, it's, it's not about you to hide that, right? It's about you to express it. You are a unique creation made in God's image. And the way that you are of things that you cannot control, I mean, express that. You should not feel insecure about it, right? Express that. You have value. The way God created you is special, and don't feel insecure about it because it is. It's a slap in the face to God. So be bold. Be courageous. Express yourself in those ways. So Genesis 3, now we're getting into um, the way we're created, but, but what happened in Genesis 3, right? It's the fall. Um, I want to read Genesis 3, verses 1 through 7. Now, the serpent, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. All right, that's the fall of man. That is the original sin. Every human is born sinful because of Adam, right? From then on, the passage goes and God curses them, right? And Adam will be uh, confined to working the soil. Um, women will bear, have pain in childbirth and things like that. 
Sin. That's sin. You see, God has kind of set a bullseye. God has set a bullseye. He said, this is the target, right? He said, here's your garden. You can play in it. You have plenty to eat. I want you to name the animals, have dominion, and steward this garden for yourselves, right? He set a bullseye for them. He said, don't eat of that tree, right? It's, it's very clear, very simple, very easy. However, Eve was deceived, and because of Adam, Eve and Adam both ate of the fruit. You see, the definition of sin is missing the mark, right? Missing that bullseye that God set in place for us to hit. That's the definition of sin, right? Often people define sin by saying those are things we shouldn't do, right? Those are kind of like sins of omission, right? Uh, we, we should not do those, right? Or I think I, I'm saying that right. And then there's also sins of commission, right? Sins of omission and sins of commission. So there's things you shouldn't be doing, but then there's also things you should be doing and you need to, need to aim for that mark and don't miss it. But if you miss it, it's sinful, right? And these, some examples of these that I've heard said in the past is sometimes if God calls you to serve someone, maybe it's in a grocery store or share the gospel with a dear friend that's hurting. I mean, if God calls you to do those things and you don't, and you don't obey the Holy Spirit in that step when he's prompting you to do so, that's a sin. It's a sin. It's not just things we shouldn't be doing. It's things we should be doing, but yet we don't. Does that make sense? So I want, I want to make clear on the definition of sin uh, because it's, it's more than just the Ten Commandments to not do this and not do that, right? There's only two positive Ten Commandments, right? It's honor your father and mother. Um, other than that, it's, um, uh, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind is, the other, is really the summary that Jesus says, right? He says, don't have any other gods before me. Honor your father and mother is a positive one. Keep the Sabbath day, that's a positive one. And Jesus does a complete summary of all the Ten Commandments. In fact, all of the prophets in in the law by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That's a summary of it, right? So it's really a positive target, right? And if you do those things, to the utmost ability, you're not gonna do all the bad things he tells you not to do. Oftentimes, um, for children, you know, so I was talking about my daughter, you know, for her, she doesn't understand what to do, right? So sometimes I have to tell her, well, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and then she'll kind of start hitting where to go. But I have to start with the no's before I can really get to the yeses. Does that make sense? You gotta start kind of with the negatives to bring some clarity, right? God did that with humanity. I don't know if you've ever taken a step back and kind of uh, thought about the entire Bible story, but if you do that, when you do that, take a step back and, and look at the entire arch and look, at, look what God's doing with humanity. He's really teaching us something. He's teaching humanity in a way that is absolutely profound. We're like children back when we sinned in the garden, right? We're like children. And eventually, we get enslaved and completely controlled, right? Then the exodus happens, and Moses is given the law, and that's where we get all these do's and don'ts, right? And so God's kind of teaching humanity, don't live like this, don't live like this, try to do these things, try to live this way. And we struggle, and we're terrible at it. But then... Uh, finally, Jesus comes 2,000 years later and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's the target. That's the bullseye, right? And anything other than that, well, that's sin. 
So there's a lot I could continue to unpack in there. I feel like I could be up here for another hour talking about this. But let me just say this. The study of sin is called homardiology. If this is uh, something that is interesting to you, I only give you this big word because you can now go open a systematic theology textbook, find one online. You could index that word homardiology and you can read probably 20 pages that will describe um, a lot more than I'm kind of describing. But Romans 5.12 also says this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Right? So the original sin, the place that sin originally came from is Adam. We need to have that be clear. Even though Eve ate the fruit first, Adam was the one to blame because he was the one given dominion, right? And, and Eve was his helper. So he's the one responsible in this. So, I need to say this. Sin affects our vertical relationship with God, but it also has a ripple effect in the horizontal relationships that we have with one another, okay? So sin affects all areas of our life. But first, I, w- I, wanna, I wanna kinda hone in here of our relationship with God. How does sin affect our relationship with God? I have a little picture that's gonna come up on the screen behind me. I hope it comes up. But uh, this idea, I don't know if you've ever heard of the bridge metaphor. So death being on one side and us, humanity, is, are on that side. There's this massive chasm between us and God, right? And so it's a steep cliff. As soon as sin is in you, which it is because you inherited it from your ancestors, as soon as sin is in you, there is this separation of relationship between you and God. And that sin, uh, it deserves hell. And God is on the other side. So we're gonna come back to this, this illustration, uh, but this, if, if you wanna know, a little note here, this is one of my favorite ways to share the gospel. Okay, so take this, Uh, It's easy to draw on a napkin in a restaurant when you're with your friends. Like seriously, bridge metaphor, great way, great tool for evangelism. So mark that down as a side note. All right, we're gonna come back to this. But that right now, right? So with sin, this is our relationship with God. Separation, sins are between us. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So every human is dead in their sin. Every single human. Many people say this. Deep down in every person, there's some good in all of them. Right? Have you guys ever heard that? Raise your hand if you've heard that. Come on. Yeah. Okay. I've heard it too. I mean, a lot of people say that. I remember saying that when I was a kid. I'm like, oh, you know, that person's not that bad. Deep down, I know there's got to be some good. Well, I want to illustrate this for you um, just real quick here uh, with this little, thank you, Phil, for bringing this up. I'm going to illustrate this for you by making one of my daughter's favorite drinks. I'm getting pretty good at this, but she loves uh, milk and chocolate milk, okay? So this is how I do it at home. So this pure white is how we were created in the Garden of Eden, pure white. 
totally white, without sin, clean. We have given a, we've been given a job. We're, we're to steward over the garden. We're naming the animals. It's all good and dandy. However, let me see if I can do this cleanly. Hopefully I don't need to use this towel, everybody. Let's see. <laughs> so this chocolate syrup, what does this re- represent? This represents sin. Yeah, thank you for answering the question. I appreciate that. <laughs> this represents sin, okay? So just a little bit of sin enters into our hearts, into our, yeah, enters into our hearts, into our minds, okay? Just a little bit of sin is all you need, right? So that happened way back like 6,000 some years ago, Okay? So there's some sin in there. And it entered into their hearts, right? And then what, what do they do? Well, now they're living their life. They start gardening and tilling the soil. And what happens? Life begins to happen, right? Uh-oh. Oh, it's in there. It's just cold. Oh, man, my daughter would not like this chocolate milk. She wants more <laughs> chocolate. Hold on. <laughs> Right, but sin enters, and pretty soon, sin affects every single decision in our life. It affects absolutely everything, right? So now, our hearts, our entirety of our beings, right? Sin is all up in there. It's not white anymore, it's in there. I see like big chunks. Sometimes, some areas of our life are more sinful than others, right? I might be a good father, but man, am I terrible at work. Why can't I hold my tongue? You know, whatever it is. So in all areas of our life, we're sinful. And I, I want to make this clear with an illustration because I know I don't like hearing that, right? I like hearing, man, I'm a, I'm a decent person, right? I like hearing that stuff. And I like to hear, wow, I do good things. Yeah, I've, I've given money to the poor. I donate to my church and the charities. You know, I like hearing that stuff. I like to hear that I do good things. But yet, the doctrine of total depravity actually tells us that any good deed that we do in our power is actually not good. Because, why? Because all of it is sinful. There is no white in here anymore. It's all stained. As soon as you put a little bit of chocolate syrup in this milk, it spreads everywhere when life happens. It is completely contaminated. There is nothing that is white, nothing that is pure. So anything we do in our power, it's not pure. It's all sinful. And I got to be honest, I don't like hearing that, but it's true of me. When I try to do something good, it is actually not good because it's all stained. It all is rooted in pridefulness. It's all rooted in sin and selfishness. If I do those good things, man, this group of people are going to like me. If I do this good thing, I'll be in good standing with that person and they're going to serve me back. Yeah. You see, real quick, that's sin entering into us. We all have those thoughts. I see a bunch of head nodding and I really appreciate that because you're with me. You get it. But luckily, (laughs) the story does not end there, right? I want to read Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 and this is the word, when we get the word dead, 
Um, This is where that word kind of comes from. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, Paul writes and he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of, of wrath, like the rest of mankind. See, every good deed we commit is actually dead and riddled with sin, right? Remember, think of that bullseye, right? We try to hit that bullseye, and we can't hit it without God's help. We miss it every single time, and that's missing the mark. Remember, that's the definition of sin. It's missing the mark. We miss that bullseye. We miss it. So, Grand's, or man's greatest need is actually a reconciled relationship to God, right? So our greatest need is that we need saving, right? Because we are totally this chocolate milk, not sweet at all, but sinful and hurtful. We are totally sinful and hurtful, and we need a reconciled relationship to God. So what do we then think of? I know this was my first thought when I realized I was sinful, literally in my testimony, my first thought was, well, I'm gonna prove it to you that I'm not, okay? And how do we do that? Well, I have another picture for you. And we try to do all these things, right? We try to overcome our sinful death by what? Making enough money so that we can, I don't know, serve other people and then we feel good. Uh, Maybe it's we devote ourselves to the work at church and then we're gonna be good. Or "Ah, I gotta go get baptized because that will save me. Or maybe I gotta come to communion, make sure I have it every week because if I don't, I'm going to hell, right? Or good deeds, church membership, the list goes on and on. But, But you see in the picture, none of those things bridge the gap. They don't make it. We cannot save ourselves. We don't have that kind of power. We don't have that kind of power. However, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ, Jesus Christ, died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The good news of Jesus Christ actually bridges this gap, bridges this big chasm between us and God so that we can have a reconciled relationship to him. John 1, 12 through 13 says, but all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children to God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, you do not deserve life but you actually have it in Christ, right? Your life is like this chocolate milk and you absolutely don't deserve to be pure again. You don't deserve it. But what happens? Well, Jesus Christ, by his death on the cross, and this should be the ending of the bridge illustration, bridges the chasm, bridges that gap between us and God so that we can then celebrate with God in our chocolate milk turns back 
to be pure. Yeah, you like that? That was nice. So, I really, I was hoping, I, I had some friends that are chemical engineers, and I was like, is there anything that you have, if I could take some water, right, and then put some black dye in it, and then maybe get some red little cup of some kind of red dye that I can then put back in the black water that turns it back clear again? Do you have anything like that as a chemistry major or whatever? But they had nothing. I thought that'd be cool. <laughs> so, if anyone's a chemical guy, design that. Churches will buy it for you, so, from you. So, there you go. All right, La- last ver- kind of last two points here. Um, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. I've got a few more minutes. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You see, salvation is an absolutely free gift. Right? Going back to that second picture from the bridge illustration, right? when we try to work it and we try to work our way to salvation, build our own bridge to God, how would, how, let, me, let me start like this. If someone can't, comes and gives me a gift, wouldn't it be terrible to say, whoa, 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 I don't want this as a gift. Here's 20 bucks. I'm gonna pay you for it. It's kind of rude to the person giving you the gift, Right? He's like, no, 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 the gift giver is like, I want to give this to you for free. Don't pay me 20 bucks. This is your gift. Then it's an argument. It's just, the whole thing is like, I should never give him the gift in the first place. What am I doing, right? Well, how do you think God feels when he says, this is a free gift of grace. I give you this grace. I've, I've sent my son. I've paid the cost of your salvation, right? I've paid for it. And now you're like, no, 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 God, let me just serve you on Sundays up in the children's ministry because then I can earn it my own. You don't have to give it to me for free. I'll pay you for it. Come on. I mean, that's not kind. That's not us loving God. No, the loving thing to do when someone brings a gift to you is to say thank you, to be overwhelmed by the love that you've just received. Right, a couple of weeks ago, I was up here talking about kind of fake strawberries, and uh, I used an illustration of fake strawberries. It's, it's like that. I mean, oftentimes we try to eat some fake strawberries of who Jesus Christ is, and, and trying to earn our way into salvation is, is one way that we do that, right? We come up with all these fake things to cover our sin and to feel saved and to be saved. Free is defined by without cost. It does not cost us anything. That's what a free gift is. Now, The gift isn't free to the gift giver, right? Jesus Christ paid a tremendous cost. He paid his life for your salvation. He paid his life. I mean, that's big. But for you, it's free. All right, two more verses. Uh, Last point. Um, John 6, 37 uh, through 40. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So this is pointing to the fact that salvation is eternally secure. And here's another passage to verify that. My sheep hear my voice, 
and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Right? That Jesus Christ speaking how nobody can take any child of his out of his Father's hand. Nobody. Your salvation, right? The, the, the blood that Jesus Christ bled on the cross for you is absolutely eternally secure. No one can pluck them out of Jesus', Jesus Father's hand. Jesus will never cast you out. A lot of times, you know, people accept Christ, they have their moment of salvation, right? Then they're living their life and um, some major sin or crisis or catastrophe happens and, and they're like, man, how do I even know if I'm going to heaven? Are you sure I'm saved? They go to their pastor, I, I don't know. I'm freaking out here. I just did something really bad. See, true belief results in repentance, a turning away from sin. It's repentance. I mean, that's an identity marker of a true believer. Does that mean you're forever without sin? No. I mean, that, that chocolate milk, you're still sinful within to the core and it still affects everything, right? In Christ, you're viewed as pure, right? And when you're walking by the Holy Spirit, you're viewed as pure. Your acts are viewed as pure because of Jesus Christ. But let me say this, if you feel like you're concerned that you can lose your salvation or you're concerned that you've lost it, I, gotta, I wanna give you some confidence. If you're concerned about that, you probably haven't. If you're concerned that you have lost your salvation, if you're concerned that your sin is too big for God to save, if that's a concern of yours, I don't think you've lost it. Just to give you some confidence, fruit for thought. Okay. Good, I still have some time. So the big idea, remember, this is what we were talking about. It's a lot in one sermon, okay? I've given you guys a lot. If you have any questions, please don't leave without asking or emailing or sending something to the church or whatever. But humanity has a sin nature deserving of death. But the good news of Jesus gives humanity life. That's where we are. That's the point of the message today. So uh, the band's gonna come up, um, but I wanna remind you, right? We ask big questions like this. Like my daughter asks big questions. And when she asks big questions, I have to give her the right answers. Where do they come from? They come from God. But as the worship band comes up, I wanna read to you one more illustration um, that Brian kind of explained to you guys when he was praying. It's Ezekiel 37. And it's an illustration of exactly what we're talking about. God gave Ezekiel this vision so that uh, we can understand what was coming in the new covenant of Jesus Christ, okay? Because sin brings death. However, Jesus Christ brings life. So if you want to follow along or if you want to just close your eyes and listen, uh, the band's going to play behind it as I read Ezekiel 37. Um, but also a little reminder, if you'd like prayer, uh, during the last song, I'll be up here and others will be up here, Matt, Pastor Matt, Brian, maybe Josh and Bill. If people can come up and pray, um, that would be great. If you want prayer, come on up during the last song and after. So Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord 
and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and will cease, cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied there was a sound and behold a rattling and the bones came together bone to its bone and I looked and behold there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me prophesy to the breath prophesy son of man and say to the breath thus says the Lord come from the four winds O breath and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves, raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves, and I raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in our, our own land, then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Let's stand.